Maybe seated. Good morning. Welcome to the Eugene Church of Christ. We are glad to have you here with us. So we're going to start with our scripture reading. If you notice, we've been camped out in the same spot for a while, quite a while. Ephesians chapter 6. You're going to want to open your Bible. Van was going to say it this morning. He's not feeling well, so they're not here, I think, unless you're out here, Van, somewhere. No. So uh, I'm going to try to say it, but you want to have your Bible because I'm going to try to say it from memory. And uh, you get to buzz me if I make a mistake, right? So we've been working on this. Hopefully you've been working on it. And uh, over time, over time, even if, if memory work is not your thing, you keep those words before you. You think about them. You chew on them. They work their way in. They get into our heart, and then, they learn, and then we find ways that they're going to express themselves in our lives because the word of the Lord does not return empty. All right, Ephesians 6, 10 through 18. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. Waist? That's a buzz right there. Feel free to buzz me. Waist. That's just a tongue slip. Belt of truth buckled around your waist with the breastplate of righteousness in place and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints, all God's people. All right. You can, you can clap. I don't. <laughs> See, it is possible. If Calvin can do it, so can you. Remember that. So uh, today we are having a meeting after services we're going to be uh, talking about this care ministry. And so as a congregation, you need to know some things about this. And uh, so we have it on the front of our bulletin uh, so you can be aware of, of this activity taking place. Because if you're not aware, it's going to seem a little strange to you. Why are all of these church members calling me and trying to visit me at my home? It won't be like overwhelming or anything. The purpose of these visits is for building relationships. We want to get to know you and find out what's going on in your life. These friends are visiting you for encouragement to hear about your life and your concerns to lift you up in prayer. That these visits we're going to be taking place are an act of love and blessing. No one is going to visit you because there's some kind of problem or you found yourself on the naughty list instead of the nice list. That's not why we're going to see anyone. This is all for encouragement. 
No one's going to fix anything for you, whether it's a leaking sink or a messed up life. or That's not the agenda with any of this. What we want is just to be in fellowship with each other at a deeper level. And everything that is shared, uh, if you're a part of the care team, you know that you hold those things in confidence. What kind of questions can I expect to be asked? What's happening in your life? What are you and the Lord working on? What's giving you joy? What's sucking the life out of you? Any number of ways that we can phrase a question, all for the purpose of building this relationship. And then the Lord says, my house will be called a house of prayer. And so we want to to be praying for each other. Uh, And one of the things that is primary with this care ministry is you sharing your prayer requests and what's on your heart so that they can be passed on to the prayer team here at the church if you give us permission to pray over those things. Uh, And if you don't want to, that's fine too. But so that we can be praying over and interceding in each other's lives because we need to be that kind of support network for each other. So what do I have to do? If you have a friend from church give you a call and want to set something up, you agree to meet, you set the place where that meeting takes place, You go there, you share what you want to share. Don't share anything you don't want to share. It doesn't have to be weird. It doesn't have to be especially churchy or just what's going on with your life. What would you like prayers for? And they're going to pray over you. And uh, that's as simple as it is. It's not a hard thing. The only thing that would be hard about this is if you have not been in a discipleship kind of relationship, if you've not been in fellowship as you have been intended to be, then it'll seem a little bit uncomfortable and weird. But if that's the case, that maybe speaks more to the condition of the way we are here and the the way we try to do church. We are supposed to be the family of God, intertwined, linked in each other's lives. This is just a step in that direction to show love and care and concern to, to know what is happening so that we can be in prayer for one another. This is all going to be just a step in the direction of love and deeper relationships with one another. All right. Why are we trying to do this? I just said all of that. We're doing this to build relationships, to learn discipleship, and to help one another thrive. So let's jump into our text for the day. You like the graphic? It's a, I feel like a fancy preacher. That graphic is just too fancy for me, really. I should have a big beard and gelled hair and skinny jeans. and But I'm not quite that guy. But I'm trying. Not, not necessarily that, but the, the, the church graphic anyway. And there you get it again and a third time. All right, so kind of the theme that I am kind of centering around is uh, this verse in Acts 2.42 about what they did, the early church. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. That's the things that they devoted themselves to. That is central in all of this. But let's back up a little bit, and we're starting in verse 1. 
of Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. For a first century Jew, Pentecost was 50, 50 days after the Passover. So why would that be significant? Um, for the Israelites who uh, do Passover, traditionally it was thought of at 50 days later they were arriving at Mount Sinai for the receiving of the law. So the significance of this Pentecost uh, event then there's a new law that's being given. It's the law of the Spirit. God is giving His redeemed people a whole new way of life. Not with a law that is carved on stone, stone tablets, but the new law that is written on human hearts. And notice also, just in this verse here, who is this outpouring for? says they were all gathered together. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit is for the gathered community. And one of the problems that we face in our own day and age in trying to connect with the Holy Spirit is that we continually come to the Lord hungry for a private spiritual experience. We want everything Jesus has to give us. But when Jesus brings all these other people along with Him, that's troublesome to some of us because the people he brings in are kind of messy. We're hungry for a private spiritual experience and we constantly dismiss or underestimate the role and importance of the community gathered together. And one of the things I hope that we begin to see as we journey through Acts together is that the Holy Spirit has a bias toward working with gathered fellowships, with gathered groups of disciples. Now it starts to get wild. Suddenly the sound, like a blowing of a violent wind, came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each one of them. So this event is so amazing and so unique that Luke is actually struggling to find words to describe what they are seeing and hearing and feeling and perceiving. Have you heard the sound of violent wind entering into a building before? There are a few times I, I've heard a violent wind. There were there a couple times with open doors and open windows in church buildings in Africa where I thought the roof was going to come off when a violent wind would come in. Think about that kind of event taking place. And why tongues? You think there might be some symbolism there? Why tongues? Well, it's not like, oh, I think everyone needs to have a good lick on the cheek. Or it's, it's a message. It's words. There is a message that is given, a message that needs to be spoken. And why fire? Think about how fire spreads. Have you ever seen a fire that's gotten out of control? Have you ever seen fire in the presence of violent wind? What happens in those situations? Also notice with this verse, everyone who is a part of this gathering, they receive something. 
There's something for everybody. Everybody gets a gift. Everybody has a part to play. And finally, notice where heaven is in this text. The wind came from heaven and filled the whole house. Heaven's not on top of a mountain or floating out in the clouds. Heaven is coming into the house where they're seated. Heaven has drawn near and come among them. And I think that's important because we tend to think of heaven the way we think about the kingdom of God. Pie in the sky by and by. Some eschatological distant future. Just floating around out there. Disconnected from my own life in my own time and my own reality. <coughs> we sing songs like... Someday, 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 someday. You know that song? But brothers and sisters, in the power of the Holy Spirit in this moment, someday becomes this day. Because everywhere that the Spirit goes, the will of God goes, the reign of God goes, the kingdom of God goes, the joy of the Lord goes. And so in this moment, heaven is not some future eschatological hope. In this moment, on the day of Pentecost, heaven is invading earth. And I think that's a good way to understand what's taking place. This is an invasion. Pentecost is heaven's invasion. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled. Look at the verbs. Filled, begin to speak, enabled by the Spirit. And I think this is significant because most of the time when the Spirit fills, it is associated somehow with a message or speaking that takes place. A message to be given. And then this enabling is different. The manifestation of the Spirit is spread out into all of these different kinds of languages. So now that we're staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, the crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in his own language. I don't know if you ever had an experience where you are immersed in a setting that is not your native tongue, where everyone is speaking a language that is not your own. You maybe have learned that language. You're maybe trying to figure it out. You maybe speak a little bit. I just got to experience that when we went back to Tanzania. Started to pick up my Swahili, started to pick up my Sakuma, dust those off, use them. In that gathering there, let me tell you, if I'm around Swahili speakers and I hear someone come in with an American accent speaking English, my attention goes right there. They stick out like a sore thumb. These people are speaking my heart language. What is going on? <clears throat> You remember the story of the Tower of Babel? Let's 
taking place here is the Tower of Babel is being undone. Let me just refresh your memory a little bit. This is from Genesis chapter 11. In the pride of humanity, they came together and they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves and not be scattered over the face of the whole earth. The Lord scattered them from there over all the earth and they stopped building the city. That is why it was called Babel. Because the Lord confused the language of the whole world. He confused the language of the whole world. These people were trying to build their way to heaven in their pride. In pride and enmity with God, humanity builds a tower to heaven to make a name for themselves. To control God. But here in Acts chapter 2, in this event that's taking place at Pentecost, they don't need to build a tower anymore to get to heaven because heaven has come near. Heaven is invading. And the first thing that heaven does is to undo the separation of people who speak different languages. Heaven comes to earth through love and through humility and through the Holy Spirit and begins to undo the separation of people of different languages and ethnic groups and tribes and tongues. The walls of misunderstanding and separation and confusion between cultures, they're being removed. They're being taken away in this Pentecost event. Through the Spirit, the wonders of God are now being made available to everyone. Utterly amazed, they asked, are all these men who are speaking, are they not Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? Parthenians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Look at the content of what they were declaring. They were so filled full of the presence of God and the wonders of God that His wonders, a message of His wonders, they just come spilling out. And if you look at, if you graph all of these nations around, you look at that, these people are from the north, the south, the east, and the west, from everywhere. They're coming in and they're here and they hear this taking place. They're hearing words in their heart language that they should not be hearing. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they've had too much to drink. They've had too much wine. So what began in a house 
it explodes out and it gathers a huge crowd. Well, how do I know it's a huge crowd? Well, look at the numbers of nations that are represented. How many would have to be uh, from a gathered group, how many that would have that many nations represented, how large would that gathering have to be to have that kind of diversity? It must have been pretty big. We read in a couple verses about how many people are about to be baptized. It's a big group. But as they are experiencing this amazing event, they need someone to help interpret and make sense of this situation. What does this mean is the question they are asking. And notice it's not the believers who are filled with the Spirit who are asking this question. It's the world trying to make sense of what's taking place. The strangeness of this event They don't know how to interpret it. But there are always those who are dismissive of things that they don't understand. And so you you have this group of people, oh, they got to be drunk or something. Them dudes is smoking something. And Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These men are not drunk as you are supposing. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. (coughs) Peter begins by appealing to a prophecy that most Jews would be very familiar with, especially in this time. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. On all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams, even on my servants. Both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. Before Acts 2, who had received the Spirit? When we read the Bible, before Acts chapter 2, who had received the Holy Spirit? Only a few people on very special occasions for special tasks. But now the Spirit is for all of God's people. Men, women, young, old, slave, free, gender, age, social standing. It doesn't matter anymore. If you belong to Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit is your inheritance and your legacy. And this prophecy from Joel is being fulfilled for both men and women. So not only is heaven's invasion reversing the Tower of Babel, it's reversing the Garden of Eden. The Holy Spirit is leading the way in healing relationships between men and women. Do you remember the story of the enmity and the strife between men and women from Genesis chapter 3? what fell apart in the relationships, not just with God, but between men and women with each other. The man replied, it was the woman you gave me. If you didn't give her to me, 
And then part of the curse, you will desire to control your husband, but he will rule over you. And we know the continuation of this story. Through sin and rebellion, humanity's thrown out of paradise. All the blame, all the excuses, all the abuse, all the envy, the jealousy, the mistrust, the broken relationships of the fall of humanity. That's being restored when the Holy Spirit comes in power. Through sin and rebellion, humanity was thrown out of paradise. But through love and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, now paradise is being restored. It's breaking into human hearts. Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know, this man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him on a cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. There ain't no grave going to hold this body down. You ever hear the phrase, death grip? We came up with that phrase because when death takes a hold, it doesn't let go. But with Jesus Christ, death loses control of the situation. There ain't no grave. And Peter goes on with the prophecy. This time he, it's the prophecy spoken by David. David said this about him. I saw the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will live in hope because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. So when David speaks the words of this prophecy, he's talking about Jesus. Jesus as always, the one always before David. He's the one encouraging David and giving him confidence. Jesus, the source of David's hope that he will not be abandoned to the grave. Jesus is the Holy One who will not see decay. The one who reveals knowledge of the path of life. Jesus Christ is the one who fills David with joy. That's what Peter's claim is in this verse. So with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the Tower of Babel, and confusion between different ethnic groups, tribes, races, that's all being undone. And then in the prophecies that Peter shares, the way the Holy Spirit is falling on everyone uh, from Joel 
and then from David, how the Holy Spirit is falling on everyone regardless of gender, regardless of age, regardless of your social standing. What is happening here is paradise is being restored. It is the delight of the Holy Spirit to reveal to us everything that Jesus Christ has accomplished on our behalf. And what the Holy Spirit is revealing in this amazing Pentecost event is that everything sinful, everything perverted, everything wrong and broken with this world and with us is being made right again. We are being brought back to the perfection of the way it was at the very beginning. What Jesus Christ accomplishes through the Holy Spirit reveals the creation as God the Father intended from the very beginning. The creation from Genesis in 131 when he looks around and he says, God saw all that he made and it was very good. Peter goes on, God has raised this Jesus to life and we are all witnesses to the fact. Exalted to the right hand of God, He has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. Notice the progression here of the Spirit. The Spirit goes from God the Father to God the Son and then God the Son pours out God the Spirit who is now in this event, he's changing everything. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. See, Peter, he's not tiptoeing here, is he? He's not being politically correct. He's not sure-coding anything. He says, Jesus Christ, you remember Him? The one you resisted. The one you killed. The one you tried to stop. He's now the one running everything. And when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what should we do? So this is, the, this is another miracle of this Pentecost event that's coming. Namely, the conviction taking place in human hearts. This is the fulfillment of prophecy taking place right now. I will give them an undivided heart and put a new spirit in them. I will remove from them their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. What is the heart of flesh? The heart of flesh is the convicted heart. A heart that no longer seeks to place blame a heart that no longer wants to make excuses, 
a heart that doesn't need to run from consequences. But this is the human heart that allows itself to be overwhelmed by its own sinfulness, its own wickedness, its own brokenness. This is the heart that cries out with words like Paul's, wretched man that I am, who will save me from this body of death? Or like this Pentecost crowd, brothers, what should we do? They were cut to the heart. Peter replied, repent. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. And then with many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. And those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. See, we still stand in the currents of a corrupt generation. We still stand amidst a culture that is heading for disaster without Jesus Christ. And through the Holy Spirit, our proclamation is the same as it was for Peter. Repent and be baptized. Which means turn back and be rescued. And our call is to join the company marked out with the sign of the Holy Spirit and with the sign of a new exodus that's taking place. We pass through the water. There's water back there behind that screen somewhere. We pass through the water to leave behind slavery and sin in order to find the way of freedom and new life. There is a new exodus that takes place through the power of the Holy Spirit and through your repentance and your taking on Christ in baptism. Don't miss the power of what's taking place here. I don't know how you hear this message or what strikes you from it. But when heaven invades earth, everything starts to change. When heaven invades earth, everything that was broken begins to be made right again. Your role in that is to respond to the message to repent and be baptized. That means you are walking, you are exiting from this corrupt generation and into the place of the Lordship of Jesus Christ to receive the Holy Spirit as your gift, your legacy, and your inheritance. In the power of the Holy Spirit, in a single day's time, 
a group that didn't number more than 120. They add 3,000 new people. And this is just the beginning. We stand in the legacy of the victory of Jesus Christ. If you want to be a part of that, and there's something that we can do as a church to help you, or if you need the prayers of this congregation, we invite you to come forward as we stand and sing together.